Welcome back. Welcome in. Rejuvenated Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson for, I don't know, a, a comprehensive way to wrap up this month. I was putting together our uh, quotes of the month thing, and not a lot of speakers this month, just because nothing is going on, and I think that even coaches kind of hit the Zoom fatigue and really weren't interested or otherwise able to have updates, but it was still a busy month with recruiting news and scheduling news and, you know, getting football players back on campus and getting positive test results and all that stuff. Um, quite a bit happening. Just seemed like a good time to wrap a ribbon around June by starting July with a Q&A mailbag, Chris. Um, we're stuck in this period where just nothing is happening. And it occurs to me that that's not true at all. A bunch of stuff is happening and it's about to ramp up here. In a little over, actually a little under two weeks, July 13, um, actual team activities for football resume. Knock on wood. Yeah, I. whenever we get to the summer, it's always, all right, uh, here's what's going on. We got a bunch of recruiting camps. Uh, we have players enrolling and starting out summer workouts. And then we got transfer season. And the first one has been canceled in its entirety all the way through the rest of the summer. Summer workouts were obviously delayed and moved around. And then the transfer situation has been a little bit slower, I guess, than usual, uh, just because players don't have a place to go, uh, really don't know where they're going to go, don't know their current situation because spring football was canceled. So I was concerned. I was like, how are we going to make it through June? And like you said, just almost every couple of days, it felt like something was coming down. Some news was coming down. We had plenty to cover and plenty to talk about. And, and you're right, this is a good way to kind of Look back on that and answer some more questions and go uh, talk about a few things that, that our fans want to talk about. Since we last spoke on Friday, just a couple of things have and haven't happened. Friday, they were supposed to test players who were put in the quarantine in the football program subsequent to a positive test. I have not heard that anybody tested positive, and they haven't put news out for that yet. So it might be true that none of those people tested positive, which is a good sign because if you're doing contact tracing, and however effective that may be, based on your opinion there, if zero people come back who positive, who were in contact with the person who did test positive, that's a good sign. Um, one basketball player is in quarantine now. He tested positive. I understand that that person was symptomatic and tested independent of WVU. They're not going to actually start their testing until July 2nd because they're due back on the 6th. So it was not a WVU test. I don't know that's a very big surprise or a very big number there either. Like we said, these numbers when they come back in are going to be big. You don't want the number to be big once they're back in. Um, nothing yet on Kerry Martin, Vic Koenig's situation, although having been down the road with some of these separation agreements before, sometimes the longer they go, the more you wonder what a lawyer's level of involvement is. Not saying I know anything there. If I knew anything, you'd have read about it right now, but... I think you're you're right to suspect that perhaps there are some conversations happening that could be going toward a certain end that just may require arranging and phrasing and planning. We were kind of told that the investigation would be done soon. I think when Neil Brown talked to us Wednesday, he said that he was confident it would be wrapped up quickly. Um, that's almost a week ago now, so maybe not as quick as they wanted, but it could also be that due diligence just takes time. Most fascinating to me, and right on cue, um, 
Monday was my birthday, so I was off. Monday, you went out and did some grown-up stuff for the first time. <laughs> and the first time you're out of your house for a long, long time on your own, big news happens. And not just news, but the part of stuff that the, – the type of news that you really want to dig in on because it's so unusual. And you know that on the other side of the keyboard, there are people trying to figure out what the heck is going on because a 20-year-old Finnish defensive lineman who was supposed to be in the military – is actually coming to West Virginia's campus in August. This is a perfect example of when you least expect that something happens and you have to drop everything you're doing and covering it. Yeah. Like I said, my first time leaving the house alone, uh, you know, been out, been doing things with the family, going places, but my first time without the kids uh, because my wife works at the hospital. So kids have been with me almost entirely. And just the strangest thing. Uh, I, it, I, we had, broke the news last week that he was on a virtual visit with West Virginia, but we did not know where that was going. He had been in touch with several programs, Virginia tech, Maryland already had offers from UMass coastal Carolina. And, but then, you know, he didn't even have an offer and he got that offer on Monday morning, uh, East coast time in America. I assume that's sometime in the afternoon or evening over there in Finland, but he uh, committed immediately, has never visited in person. I don't, I'm not even sure if or how many times he's been to the States, but I know he's not been to Morgantown before. He was not with the PPI recruits group that came to Morgantown last summer. That included Jairo and Victor Wickstrom. So this was really kind of out of the blue. And, and like you, you mentioned, the, the military service, that was the kind of twist in this the, the hitch because he was supposed to be 2021 he was finland requires a year of military service for all young men uh in the country and he was i believe it was supposed to go through the end of december i it was the full calendar year so he was going to enroll in january the school of his choice as a member of the class of 2021 he got word a surprise early release from the military um and would be out this summer and with that, uh, you know, just made the connection between the PPI recruits uh, program, Brandon Collier, who we've done several interviews with over the past year, um, hooked it up with Neil Brown to UMass alums, UMass football alums, and made it work. And, and he's supposed to be here. He says he's going to be here in a little over a month. I want to dig in here on a couple things, but I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Mm -hmm. Will he be on scholarship? On day two. Yes. Okay. There's not like a finished GI bill where they pay for his college. Oh, that'd be good. That'd be, you want to talk about getting creative. We're, I do. Now, now we're talking Neil Brown exploiting foreign government, uh, scholarship programs to, to get football players on the roster. Uh, I love it. I love every bit of that. I'm curious. Cause I know that like, I know that that, that exists in America. I don't know what they do in Finland. Um, but I also know like, there's there there are schools and it's mostly division two schools or like maybe like group of five schools, but they will try to recruit washed out minor league baseball players who want to give it a shot um, because the minor league teams frequently agree to pay your college tuition. Um, so that's like a wrinkle you can get. But I wonder about this now. Are we going to start mining European countries that agree to pay? I mean, you can have like a whole bunch of like South Korean college football players because you have to do the similar um military service over there too i don't know again we're always trying to figure out how they count to 85 here and who counts what year but 
um, there's also like this market for players who can actually walk on for you. And I wonder if they found one there. I'd be kind of interested to figure out that might require some international relations. I don't yet know about what's curious about this one here is never been here. Um, and it's the third one. And once when you get a guy like Jaido, you're like, okay, well, that guy just looked like he, he should, but he should be playing football. Um, in the same camp with the same group. Yeah, Wickstrom did too. Like that 40 time he put up and they had him running around doing different positions, but he looked like a perfect fit at tight end. Then you get about a year where nothing happens and you're just like, okay, they had a good day and a good crop of people. This is unique because he was never here. They never put eyes on him. I think his Twitter is probably the best indication of his athleticism with some of his weight room stuff and walking on his hands. But is it just like a blind trust here that what they think they have you know, hey, you can come in and you can still work out, but we can teach you in a year. I don't think there's any expectation he's going to play in 2020, but it just seems like we trust this guy. We trust his program. Why not? There's This is a low risk. Um, he's got all the tools you would look for in a kid, whether he's from Finland or Florida. Um, this should work. Is it just that simple? I think so. I think they're putting the pieces together. Like you said, he's um... – He's got the athleticism. They they trust Brandon Collier and this program uh, because I, I think they trust that Collier's not going to lie. He's not going to embellish how good these guys are because from Collier's point of view, mm-hmm. he wants to keep these relationships and these connections. And if he starts over-exaggerating how good these players are, college coaches aren't going to listen to him anymore. And these kids are not going to find new homes and he's going to struggle to keep his business. So he's not. he has no reason to embellish anybody's abilities and i think they trust the film they see uh they see the film on this kid they see his workouts and they look and they say okay um you know just like they do with all recruits this isn't just european recruits or guys that they haven't seen in person it it starts with um you know are they do they meet the academic requirements yes do they meet the physical requirements yeah they're going to check his size and make sure it's legit and then they're going to test and check and see if his athleticism and his speed combined with that size are what they need. Do they meet certain benchmarks? And then you kind of look at the film and see if he's got the right uh, motor, if he has the right know-how and the skill set. And I think they can piece together enough that it's worth taking a risk on. What position did Brandon Collier play in college? Oh, man, you put me on the spot. Was he a wide receiver at UMass too? Defensive line. Defensive line, Ah. Takes one to know one, right? right? He's going to talk about the position, and you're not going to actually see him. Hey, can he do what you did? Yeah. All right, we'll take one of those things, too. Um, have you seen the film, The Huddle, or anything? I have. What would you think? I thought it was very naked in the fact that, like, it was just there, and it was like, here it is. What you think is up to you, but it's good plays. It's not great plays. It's just plays that happen. Sometimes he pops, too. It just seemed like that it was very honest as far as high school, or excuse me, highlight film goes. Yeah, I think he uh, might need an editor for his huddle videos, somebody that can uh, put things together a little better, pick out some better plays. But um, maybe that kind of works out better for him because the coaches can see a more complete picture instead of just the highlights. A lot of guys can look good if you properly pick the proper plays and do good edit and and have good editing. But um, I'm not sure what to take it. I I think he's the project. Uh, Like you said, no expectations that he's going to play or contribute this year. Not just because of that, but because of the current defensive line situation for WVU. I don't think a lot of guys are going to be able to crack into that too deep. Mm-hmm. So um, he is somebody that I think you know they're trying to mold and build into somebody who can contribute in a couple of years. 
Last one, because we have two questions that kind of follow this line of thinking here. One about European players, one about defensive line. Um, but why is this such a idea right now? I have my theories, and I wrote about it yesterday. I kind of think that American football is popular now over in Europe, similar to what American basketball was maybe 10 years ago. I'm not saying that West Virginia is going to be Gonzaga and Neil Brown is Mark Few, but you kind of get the idea that players can come over and they realize they have a chance. It's not everybody, but there's not great athletic opportunity at the college level um, over in Europe. And maybe the American education is more appealing to I'm not sure. But also I think the fact that like, there's no pro option over in Europe and basketball, the best, you know, 17, 18 year old basketball prospects, they go to European clubs or they go right to the NBA lottery or the draft and kind of skip college. So if this is going to become a thing in football in Europe, Colleges have a chance to get the best of the best from over there and not the people who aren't going to immediately go pro. But um, it just seems like now is the time, and maybe this is something that's perhaps a decade behind college basketball, but nevertheless is arriving. Yeah, I think so. And and I'm trying to see if I can get my analogy correct here uh, from WVU's perspective. It's just if you were sitting in in a pond with 50 other fishermen and about 12 of them had some of the best lures and best rods and had the best spots in the pond and were taking all the fish, would you sit there and take their backup options all the time? No, you're going to go find a new pond. And I think a school like West Virginia can go to this new pond, Europe, and and get better fish, get bigger fish, and um, not have to battle too many of these bigger schools. Because if you're, say, Alabama, if you're going to get all the five stars staying right here in the in the southeast and not really bothering to go anywhere else unless you want to spot recruit a kid, why bother going to Europe? It, there's really no point. And West Virginia can go over there and and pick these kids off and and pr- try to get some of these kind of diamonds in the roughs that maybe if they were in the states and this is this is what Collier told me about uh, this kid is that. If he were in the States, he'd be a high three-star, low four-star kid. And that would be one of the better kids in West Virginia's class. So if, if West Virginia is truly getting that level of talent with each kid that they're kind of cherry-picking out of Europe right now, then they need to continue to do that. I like it. Uh, what do you say we jump in the Q&A? These are um, message board submissions on the VIP side, Country Road Confidential. Got a couple here we want to answer. And actually, we'll, we're going to pick a few out and probably write about them more in detail because there's some pretty fertile subjects here. But like I said, two of them have to do with this topic we're talking about. So let's transition into there. The first one comes from Snuffocator. I've not seen that name before around here, I don't think. Um, or at least on one of our Q&As. But he asks, or she asks, I'm not sure. I see we're starting to build a European pipeline of recruits, which is cool. Any sense on whether there seems to be any common thread in the kind of advantages, challenges spectrum? Um, then in parentheses, more refined skills, better techniques, more time needed to acclimate to the school college game. Um, comparing international recruits to stateside ones, is it just more of the same because it's all 18 or 19 year old kids playing the game of football? So basically, um, I guess I guess what are you seeing out of this? Are, are there something in common with the players over there that are recruiting or is it somewhat level because? Maybe they're a little bit raw, but they're all just competing against each other at a similar level, and the ones who are better just naturally appear to be better. Uh, I think when I'm trying to think of pros and cons about recruiting out of Europe, 
some of these guys that we're seeing are, are I mean, all of these guys, all three of these uh, that, that we're talking about here, Jairo, Victor Wickstrom, and Edward, uh, uh, now I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Vesterinen, excuse me. But they're all kind of physical freaks. I mean, we've seen the film of Wickstrom working out. We've seen these videos of um, Vesterinen working out. And Jairo, I posted videos and pictures. I, the comment I made back last summer before he ever even committed, when he just had an offer, was he looked unlike any corner or defensive back I've seen West Virginia ever recruit. He was just physically more mature than anyone I've seen West Virginia recruit for that position. Now, granted, we then found out a few moments later that he was 20 years old, so that kind of <laughs> makes sense. Uh, same goes for Vesterinen, and he's 20 years old. Uh, Wickstrom's on the other end of the spectrum. He's going to be 17 when he enrolls in a few months. So um, I, I think with these guys, they're physically ready. They have dedicated kind of the, their extracurricular time to – getting their bodies in peak physical uh, condition. Now, a lot of guys do that in the States too, but a lot of the guys just get by on pure talent and pure size, uh, nat- like natural size, not muscles or working out, and-, and then have to adjust once they get to college. And I feel like these guys, all three of these, are going to step right in and not be scared away by the weight room or the work, that the time and the effort it goes into being prepared for college. I do yeah. question – sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I, I do question the skill level they play against. Now, I understand that they all get together the best of the best and try to work out and do things together, play against each other sometimes. But watching some of this film, I, I mean, it it feels like I'm watching kind of like small school, high school ball, where one guy's just clearly way better than anybody else on the field. And I don't know what I'm supposed to take from that. Uh, those plays like I, I, he should be doing that because the talent uh, the opposition is just not there so I, I think there'll be a little bit longer time to adjust to all 22 players on the field being just as good as they are correct and in the case of Jaido and Ed there's something to say about them in two or three years where they're maybe have learned enough to get in the field or learned enough to really start and matter but also being you know 23 and when you're a 23-year-old junior and the other guy's a 20-year-old junior, that's a big difference. Um, so I think that's in the battle work ethic, physical maturity, um, recuperation, all that stuff is pretty cool. Um, but they, you're right, uh, Wickstrom on the other end of the spectrum is probably going to grow um, and still be learning on the way out the door and still be growing on the way out the door, too. I also find it, too, that um, you have a safety who's kind of nondescript. He could be one or the other. A defensive lineman and a linebacker. Not skill positions, nothing against those guys, but you don't see running backs, receivers, quarterbacks so much coming over from Europe yet. And I wonder if that's just natural right now because it's not quite refined yet where somebody is just so clearly skilled on offense um, that he can come and play right away at Clemson, play right away at West Virginia, play right away at UCLA, whatever. Um, That said, there's a chance we see one of these guys who's kind of the opposite of what I'm talking about there. Um, Alexander Honig is kind of like a, a workout freak, like a, a 6'4", 6'5", kid who runs like a 4'7", and he's at TCU now, and they think that he has a chance to be a player in the future, maybe a little bit 
um, later rather than sooner, but a quarterback from Germany who came overseas, lit it up on camps and was a ch- had a chance to really impress people. And he's a TCU. So that might be the next wave here though, too, because again, if you're, if we're talking about similar things here, the level of competition guys may stand out and maybe we just have people now who can push people better on offense or defense or just bigger, stronger and are better in the trenches or better at tight end. You can't cover them. You can't run with them. But what will happen when you have a running back who has crazy highlights or a receiver who has crazy highlights or a quarterback who puts up stupid stats? Um, do you unfairly evaluate that because the competition? Is he so good because the competition isn't quite there? Or is he so good because it's legitimate? Like he's actually a Division One recruit. That's kind of what I'm interested in seeing it next. And it feels like that the Honey kid at TCU has some level of burden on his shoulders there, kind of carrying the torch for skill position players over in Europe. Uh, we saw him at WVU camp. Honig mm-hmm. was there with that group last year. Big guy. I actually, I think, uh, or at least I, if I remember correctly, I believe I thought he was a, a defensive end or something. He's, yeah. he's a big, strong dude to be playing quarterback. Um, I wonder if it's, I remember the old debate about how will the United States ever be elite, you know, World Cup winners in soccer? And the debate was, or, or the, the saying was, hey, yeah, if the best athletes would stop go playing football or basketball, and if they all fo- focus on soccer, um, we'd be the best in the world, da-da-da. Is it the other way? Or, I assume it's the other way around in Europe, that the best athletes are like, hey, I'm not going to play football. I'm going to go play soccer. And if I'm not playing soccer, I'm going to go play basketball. Um, so I'm curious if there will be more athletes that kind of make that decision to go with football uh, American football over football over there. Something to watch. It would take propaganda. It would take colleges kind of just being over there all the time on their spring breaks and doing, you know, spring football practices and just making sure they understand it's an option they can pursue over there too. And hey, football's cool. Come over here and do it because the lure of soccer is, is going to be really hard, especially when you get outside of England, you get into like Germany, Spain, um, Italy. That's where football is huge or football is huge over there. I think a little bit different you get to like london or places like that there because they they're more exposed to american sports from different reasons here moving on second question that's similar to this one here at least related uh, something that probably have to spend more time on we've done a little bit already that i think at least our answer is going to dig into a previous podcast but Yerstein asks what's the plan with a defensive line there are a ton of guys being recruited that project as tackles and have similar body types that's six foot three 250 pound range no obvious prep nose tackles and arguably not obvious defensive ends. You can pull Watkins, that'd be Eddie Watkins, and or Linnell Carr down to end, but that opens up some questions at linebacker, right? And that sort of complicates the original question a bit. So what is the plan? Recruit a bunch of guys and let the chips fall where they may? Or is there a specific plan for what to do with the prospects? This is, I think, a great question because it could go in a bunch of different directions. Where do you begin? Uh, very simply. Five one five defense. Get ready yes. for it. That's 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 what I'm expecting. I I, I don't know. I think, I, like you said, we kind of sort of touched on that a little bit in a previous podcast, talking about the different fronts and the different schemes and how last year uh, we saw a three four, we saw a four three, we saw a, what was that a five two four or it's was crazy. that even a five one five when like a- when Noah Guzman got a a start uh, that game. That's the one I'm trying to think of. I can't remember what the exact or five was it four one six or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I is as, as Earstein put it in the, in the question, recruit a bunch of guys, the best, most talented guys and let the chips fall. 
and and go with whatever kind of lineup that you can get the best players on the field. Yeah, I think we're going to see more variation. I think you'll see some even fronts, like traditional even fronts. What what stands out about his question, I think, is interesting too. No obvious prep nose tackles. Those are hard to find. That's always been the thing in recruiting is how do you find those guys? I think you can get by with two defensive tackles more reliably, at least in recruiting. You're more likely to get two defensive tackles than that one nose guard who can be, what are we talking, like 6'3", 300 pounds, something like that. That's just a hard guy to find, maybe even bigger than 300. Um, Now, can you get a guy who's 6'3", 250? Can you get him to add 50 pounds responsibly in a number of years where he can play for a couple of years? That's, That's tricky, but I think that you can do some research about that and try to find guys who fit that bill but i'm not sure where the future is i'm not sure they know either it's just it's really interesting how they can do that because it's kind of the fulcrum of your defense you spin so much stuff around based on what you have in that front you know even front begets this and odd front begets that but i do think you'll see three-man fronts and four-man fronts just because they can do that i think four-man fronts if you can consistently do it kind of throw a wrinkle in other teams plans because so many teams are preparing for three-man fronts week in and week out it might have something to do with how they feel about bandit and or Mike, uh, that could be some type of flexibility there, too. I just like the fact they have a bunch of defensive linemen on the team. That's not been a strength of the school for a long, long time. And we're getting like, – we're asking, actually, what are they going to do with all these guys now? That's not a question we ask around here. Like, do they have too many defensive line? It's the last time you asked or answered that question. It's been years, right? No, that's a that's a definite good problem to have. And I agree wholeheartedly with uh, your thoughts that nose guard, a true nose guard – for like a three-man front, just lining up right over center. There's only a handful of those that are high major level guys in each recruiting class, and the same kind of schools are going to end up getting those, LSU, Alabama, et cetera. So I think you have to find other ways around it, and West Virginia's done that in the past. If you try to think back to two guys that ended up manning the middle of that defensive line for West Virginia, like Kenny Bigelow, who was a transfer, uh, going back uh, a while before that, Chris Neal was a tight end that they kind of bulked up and shaped into uh, a nose a nose guard. And uh, God, who else? Like Shaq Rowell, um, Christian Brown. These guys were not traditional um, nose guards. Darian Howard was a freaking linebacker that they bulked up and moved to that kind of spot. And so I don't think you're ever going to truly get that nose guard type Vince Wilfork type kind of guy that you need to man the center of the the defensive line uh, unless you kind of go other directions to get there. Yeah, but I don't think it's a bad practice to get a guy who can play end and grow into tackle or that is a tackle and can just like trim down and be an, be an end. That's fine. That nose is so hard. Though. Like, that's just a hard thing to do. And if you can find a way to do it, hey, good for you. But you got to be creative and think around different think of ways around different corners there too. Let's move on here. Let me throw a couple under over-unders at you that these will be pretty easy to get through but these are posed by bruce 8282 are you ready chris go for it over under three thousand yards passing for either daigie or kendall over disagree over under 900 yards oh, whoa, whoa, the- whoa, 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 whoa. disagree you gotta give me that's something. 250 yards passing a game yeah 225 a game let me see if my math is here is um, two hundred. Let's put it this way: twenty-four and um, a quarter. That, yeah, two fifty a game. Shoot, uh, they averaged two forty-eight point seven last year, and so 
we don't think that the offense is going to get 1.3 yards more per game this season. What's the math? I'm trying to do this in my head. Is it 250 a game or 225 a game? So 20, 250. 3,000 yards divided by 12 games. 250. Okay. Uh, if 13, if you get to a bowl, is 230. Oh, boy. Also, uh, the word either is in quotes. It's not and. Mm. So you have to assume that one of the two will not only win the job, but keep the job and stay healthy all year long and average 250 yards a game. Yes. Mm. Now that makes it a little tougher. Okay. Uh, I'm going over, but not nearly as confident as I was beforehand. It's interesting. Um, perhaps this next answer changes things too. Over under 900 yards for the leading rusher this year. I'm going to go over. I am too, because I think it's going to be Brown uh, carrying more of a load than than this past year. And I think hopefully they will kind of fix some of the rushing problems that they had last season as well. I think it's a benefit for um, a shorter time. You're not going to work on as much stuff in the run game instead of, you know, a handful of concepts and schemes and plays um, you're working on fewer and you get better at them quicker than you might an expanded playbook. And running back is a pretty easy position to pick up where you left off too. So that might be good. And everybody says Brown was really good at the end of last year too. So maybe um, that's momentum too. Over under 80 catches for Sam James. You answer this one first. I'm looking up something for research for answer this. Go ahead. I'm going under, but I think it's, I, I mean, if I'm wrong here, it's, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's because I doubt him. I just think that you're going to have more receivers to spread the ball around to, and I think he's going to get some attention. But I think that the other receivers are good enough that whomever is quarterback um, is going to find guys open or find guys who are otherwise appealing to their spirals and their progression to um, 75, 82. What's the difference at that point? But if you had to ask me, I would say under, but I still think he's going to have a good season. Okay. I'm with you too. I was was thinking – that was a pretty high number. Uh, I do recall that he had a good number last year. That that was 69 last season. And I think part of that was just at some point, especially in that Texas Tech game, which was the 14 for 223. I mean, they were just throwing it to him all the time. And that was during the stretch where I believe TJ Simmons was hobbled. Sean Ryan was out. Um, and... Who else might have been dinged up? I, I, it, it got kind of light at the receiving core is my point, and he really uh, capitalized on that, which is not a knock against him. That's great, uh, stepping up when you're needed most. But I think that kind of inflated those catch numbers a little bit. Over under 20 catches for the entire tight end position group. Uh I was almost immediately going to say yes, but Michael Laughlin only had six catches last season for like eight yards, too, right? Six, well, six for twenty-four. Oh Holy my cow. bad. What in the? Uh, mm, good guy. I don't. I'm a big Michael Laughlin fan, but I also thought he had like fifteen or twenty catches himself last season. Uh, I'm going to say under because I, I think he might get fifteen to twenty, but I'm that might be about it for this the whole position. The answer is push. <laughs> 16 for him, 4 for TJ Banks. All right. That's a that's an unknown here because I don't know where. I, I do think that they're going to try to play more two tight ends. I think they like them both. But I think if you have 
plans to play two tight ends, you better have three. I don't know who their third tight end is. Um, but it'd be great if they could add another hat there on the running game. Would be probably better because of it. And you figure they're on the field more for run blocking, they could possibly catch some passes too. But 20 is a big number. Like, that doesn't sound like a big number. That's a big number, especially when we're talking about the number of other traditional pass catchers that are out there from receivers and even running backs too. Uh, last one, over-under, 16 sacks for the Stills brothers combined. I'm going under, but I bet you it's close. Is this where I can say push? Because la- last year they had 14. I think Dante Stills, they both had seven, at least according to the stats I'm looking at. Um, now, Dante was doing that on limited time. So maybe his numbers go up or maybe he gets more attention from opposing teams. But Darius, I mean, he had a freak year last year. That was amazing. So asking him to do more than that when he was, you know, first team all Big 12 and, and getting some All-American honors, that that's asking a lot. So I think if I were a betting man, I'd probably be leaning under slightly. I'd like to see how both these guys are playing in November. I'd like to see football in November, but I'd like to see how both of them are playing in November because you're talking two years of Darius playing that position and playing I mean, the majority of the snaps, but also it would be the most that Dante has played and his body has been hit and miss. And that's not a negative, but like they've wanted him to lose weight and get in better shape. Then he got sick and lost a bunch of weight and wasn't able to do what he needed to do. Um, not that not his fault, but just an off season strength and conditioning. Um, and then playing a full season as the guy that's going to be new for him. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just curious to see how they will, will be holding up in November. Moving on here. Um, Earman asks, you are Shane Lyons. Quite a spot right now. Don't mm-hmm. envy that one, but you are Shane Lyons. You get a call from organizers and lawyers from the Chick-fil-A kickoff game who tell you, we can't move forward. The game is canceled. How, in the midst of the pandemic and just two months out from the season, do you fill the gap? I have an idea. What do you think? Why not just ask Florida State to come to Morgantown? Make up a you, deal. Ten you years play the game, right? We'll you find a way, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you don't change opponents? No. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not sure this game isn't going to be played like at Georgia Tech, for one. So mm-hmm. I would look for places that have an opening. Georgia Tech is not playing at home that weekend. I believe they play Thursday. So there's time. You could do something like that. Um, I think you find a place to go neutral because it's going to be hard to get a game scheduled. I wonder what type of bad feeling still exists between West Virginia and Florida State because West Virginia kind of elbowed them out of a scheduled game a couple of years ago and had to pay for it. And things are different, I guess, but still, um, I'm not sure I would give West Virginia the benefit of the doubt to return that game 10 years from now, <laughs> just based on the past. So I think you try to do something neutral, try to find a place to play. If that doesn't work, yeah, try to promise them a home and home or something like that. Or do you try to find a way to make it work? Would you play in Tallahassee this year? Well, ask me again in a month, I guess, because yeah, I think it's all changing. You know, a month, uh, just a few weeks ago, we were saying, wow, look at Florida, you know, proving everybody wrong by opening up and things looking good. And now it's it, it's spiking back up down there. Uh, maybe Morgantown will do the same in a few weeks. And, and then you got to wonder if maybe Tallahassee is better than Morgantown. Or like you said, trying to find a neutral site game somewhere where cases aren't that bad and you try to make it work. Oh boy, long way to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, another Shane Lyons question. Do you have any thoughts on the rumors that Jim Clements, Oliver Luck, and Shane Lyons could potentially be considered for the open ACC commissioner position? Would Lyons leave for that? 
And do you think that if one of those three were to take the job, probably Lions or luck more so than Clements, that it would potentially benefit WVU down the road? That would be an indication that conference expansion occurs again and the ACC would open its arms to West Virginia. That's a whole other conversation. But, um, yeah, obviously a, a West Virginia connection is in the ACC office, then sure, they're going to have at least a more open conversation about West Virginia's merits. So let's cross that part out. Let's just talk about the surface. Um, Clements Luck Lions at an ACC position. What do you think? Um, yes, I think Lions would take that in a second, like without even questioning it. It's a step up from a you know AD of a school to commissioner of an entire conference. I think he'd do that without even thinking twice about it. My question is, is he truly an option? Is he truly like the top target? I'm not sure. Um, I do think Oliver Luck might be a little more hesitant about doing that. I, I, I think he's going to be very picky about the next thing he does, especially after what happened with the XFL. Um, Clements, I, I don't know. That's that's out of my range. I have no idea what he might do. That's the one that intrigues me the most, just because I don't know, but I think he's a pretty sharp guy and has an inclination to be more involved with athletics than he has been so far. Um, so that's really interesting to me. I don't know where this list came from. I'm told it came from a rival publication and it was just kind of a top of the head thing with some people who were in the industry. I haven't read it. Um, so I don't really know how far down the rabbit hole this goes, but Clemens would be interesting. Is luck still a take, so to speak? <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I thought he got out of this whole business of cause he was done with college athletics essentially and wanted to move on to something else and was helping uh, there are not out of college athletics, but out of uh, the college side of it and was working with the NCAA. So I'm not entirely sure if he'd want to, if the ACC would even reach out to him. Um, obviously he's got a lot of, a lot of um, uh, things on his resume that he could point to that would make him, a good candidate, but it's been a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he's been, I was, I was just trying to think of how long it's been. It's been at least, has it been six, seven years since he's been anywhere? What said he was, he left West Virginia in 2012, right? No. Or no, seven. 15. I'm sorry, not 12, 15. But he was already doing stuff with the NCAA before that. Mm hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I just I think that he came to WVU to get stuff done and it just had a short list and did it. I'm not sure how much he wants to get involved in this part of college athletics again. I will call him to gauge his interest in my wiffle ball league. <laughs> just answer a question we're going to get to in a minute. Lions is the one that we want to talk about here, I'm sure. I don't know what his qualifications are for that job. I know he spent some time in um, – in the ACC office, but that was compliance. And he was, he's a compliance whiz. A lot of people in the industry think that his, um, his, his ability to conceive and to see the rule book and, and, you know, what you can and can't do and how that works for the overall operation of athletics, you know, financing, budgeting, staffing, things like that is, is next level stuff. So that's good. Um, but I'm not sure that makes him the leading candidate there, even though he did spend some time, you know, at also Texas tech, the NCAA, but just because you were an assistant commissioner, actually associate commissioner might be the right one there. I get those confused. But just because he spent some time there doesn't mean he was number two. Um, 
but also like what about his job at West Virginia is going to make people in the ACC and not just fans, but like the same decision makers who have allegedly stiff armed West Virginia's involvement in the ACC, what's going to make them say, well, actually let's take that guy who runs that school we don't want and let's make him the number one in our conference during a really important time. That's just my initial reaction. Like, how do we get over that? Like if this bias does in fact exist and there's more than smoke to that end, then what makes them say, but we actually like Shane Lyons. <laughs> That's hard for me to get. And then the commissioner position is much different than an AD. Commissioners pretty much do the bidding of the athletic directors and the chancellors and presidents. You know, they, they're supposed to reach consensus and act collectively. Um, I do think that Lyons has a lot of respect in that position due to his various committee positions and chairmanship positions. He's the head of the football oversight committee, which is about the biggest job in town right now. Um, but a lot of that is delegation, you know, forming consensus, getting everybody on the same page. I do think that's an important thing for being a commissioner in a major sports conference, too. Um, so I do think that more so than any accomplishments or hirings or negotiations at West Virginia would push him somewhere toward the front of the line. I'm just not sure he's there. So did you have anybody on you, not to put you on the spot, but anybody that that was not on that quote unquote short list that would be on yours? I'm not going to pretend to know. Like yeah. I would think that someone who's a TV executive has a chance to do something like that. Um, could be somebody who understands the college landscape and the television landscape who understands marketing and advertising. I think it's a very outside the box position, but I don't think it's somebody that you want. Who's going to be a person who's like an activist or is ambitious and wants to do things and accomplish things. Because again, you're working on behalf of the other schools more so than you're working on behalf of the conference. And that's a tricky thing too. I'm trying to think is who's the commissioner of the big East. It's Mike Oresco, right? Mm -hmm. What was his background? I have no idea. Let me, let me Google that for you. Good radio here. Yeah, yeah, he previously served as the executive vice president in programming of CBS Sports. He started on TV at ESPN, where he was responsible for overseeing the acquisition, scheduling, and development of long-term strategies. Um, that was a, a bizarre hire when they, they brought him in. Um, he's the commissioner of the American right now. I'm sorry. I get those too confused, though. But... That was an, an unusual thing, but that's kind of what they had to do at that time to get that. It's just, I, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, athletic directors used to be the old football coach, and that's changed a lot now. Those are businessmen, by and large. They may be old football coaches who become businessmen, but you're looking at guys who are much more used to being in a suit than in a uniform or, you know, spinning a whistle around their finger at practice. I think the commissioner position is the same, too, so... Um, Swafford's got really big shoes, too. I know he's divisive, but, man, that guy's done a whole lot and leaves quite a legacy behind there, too. Uh, uh, Off-brand off here. Mm -hmm. Lions named the new ACC commissioner in, I don't know, December. The number one candidate to replace Lions would be Kelly Cunningham. Excuse me, Kelly Zinn. Is number two Oliver Luck? Are, are we not going back to, uh, oh, yeah, uh, Whit Babcock? We're not doing that. We're not doing Shouse. We're not doing Hamrick. We're not, we're not doing stuff like that. Those are, I, I think those days are gone. <laughs> okay. Um, like, I, I, I had that, like, list in my pocket for years. I always knew the luck was going to leave sometime soon or something big. and ended up being the number two spot in the NCAA. And I had that list, and it was fine. Uh, Babcock would be interesting. Um, but I, I don't know why it wouldn't be Kelly. And 
why not luck? Yeah, uh, I agree with the Kelly Zen pick. Uh, I think she's, you know, she has been around. She is, uh, let's say, intimately involved with everything that goes on around there. Oftentimes, you know, handling a lot of the stuff herself. So I, I think she's not only uh, qualified, but is kind of getting like on the job experience right now. Don't you feel like, I mean, I, I feel like we've heard her name being involved with a lot of stuff already. So in all of my conversations and emails and text messages back and forth about Vic Koenig and Carrie Martin, I have heard Lyon's name a handful of times, but almost all the questions are like, what do you think Kelly will do? You know, will Kelly allow this guy to come back? How will Kelly resolve the situation? She's the football administrator, which means she's pretty much the AD of the football program. That's why she's always around Brown. You'll see her in the background of pictures. She's at press conferences. She jumped on the grenade the day that we were grilling Brown about the coronavirus and what they were going to do. She's on top of everything. She's really good. She has the compliance background. So all the stuff I talked about with Lions and his ability to understand the rules and what's good and bad, she has that. She does contract negotiations. She does, you know, the staffing, the financing. She's got the background for it. I don't know why she wouldn't be the number one pick. Unless she wants to go somewhere else and come back home. And I also think this, if it was Kelly and Luck, I don't think Luck would pursue the job. That's his level of admiration for her, I believe. And for those who enjoy this this type of thing, and I know there are a lot of you out there, uh, born and raised West Virginia, graduate, WVU, bachelor's, master's too, I think. Um, so ties to the state, ties to the university. Uh, she'll know what uh, you know the fans want as well. Here's the negative, though. Mm. She will be the interim commissioner, or the interim athletic director. West Virginia's history of promoting interim to head is not very good. Oh. People might be reluctant to do that there. Moving on, next question. Um, how do the negative events truly affect recruiting across the entire recruiting footprint? I don't want to try to initiate a discussion about the Martin Vick event and also understand the severity of any event also has a meaningful impact. But in general. What did these things do to recruiting going forward? My initial impression is it would make a bigger impact on a very regionalized basis than over the entire recruiting class. He asked a second question. Um, also, does WU have a diversity program related to hiring? Yes, and it's policed too. So um, we'll get that one out of the way. But hey, this um, kerfuffle here, which is still going on, um, what does it matter with recruiting going forward? Is it a big deal? Or is it just a local thing, or does it have a time frame that it'll fritter away soon? I do think there's a time frame to it. And as far as like immediate impact and with recruiting, it's tough to say because, to put it bluntly, Vic Coning and most defensive coordinators, uh, a lot of times coordinators as a whole, offensive and defensive, are, do not recruit. It, it kind of the higher up you are on the the coaching chain, the less recruiting you actually do. Like Neil Brown, the head coach does the least uh, oftentimes because of NCAA restrictions. Coordinators do more than the head coach, but not quite as much as position coaches. And the position coaches do a lot of the work with help from graduate assistants and other people in the recruiting department who sole job is to recruit. So, He's not involved as a lead recruiter on very many players at all. Very rarely is Vic Coning calling up a recruit and saying, hey, we'd like to offer you a scholarship at WVU. So let's get that out of the way. Um, 
I do think there there's going to be something if recruits hear about it of a recruit, especially a young African American recruit, and if they believe Martin's story or it gets corroborated, uh, they're going to say, "Am I going to play for that guy? That guy's going to be a, a defensive player." So you're kind of pinpointing to African American defensive players and if they'll play for Coning if they believe Martin, if it gets corroborated. Um, the other aspect of this, I think it was asked about the negative recruiting. In my opinion, and having spoken, it's a little bit of fact, I've, I've stirred fact, but talking with other coaches, I've spoken with a coach at another university about these kind of situations. And there's obviously negative recruiting that goes on in college football. There's a ton of it. This is not a topic that, again, th- this coach I spoke to, it says this is not one that they would ever touch. And I can see why. I feel like it's just, it's too delicate of a situation. And if you're going to try to kind of leverage some kind of perceived race issue at another school to try to get a recruit, if that recruit stops and thinks for a second about what you're trying to do, that's disgusting. Like you're, <clears throat> you're terrible for that. And a recruit recruits are getting smarter and they're a lot smarter than they were a long time, like 20 years ago, even five or 10 years ago. And they're going to realize that. And they, it's not going to get you anywhere. A lot of the negative recruiting that used to work will get you nowhere now because kids are smarter. And this one in particular, I think would hurt the opposing school as much as or more than it would hurt WVU. I like it. I don't have anything to add to that. I would just say this, that um, there's a way to make this good if you're Brown and Koenig too. Like there's a way to come out of this where you can go in and you can say, we handle this the right way. And you're, you're a more inclusive, a more open program to people too than you are perhaps right now too. But everything you just said makes perfect sense. I don't have the credentials to add to that. So let's move on. Uh, Bitcruncher. The improvements at Milan Pushkar Stadium and what head coach Neil Browns considers the most important improvement yet to be made. Um, we talked about this, and I just read it, and I think maybe he's talking specifically about the stadium, which I don't know. But I think next on Browns' list is a reasonable request. Reasonable in that it might not take a lot of money or time to coordinate. Unreasonable, perhaps, because the environment and finances right now in the economy. But he really wants to dress up and to continue to dress up the indoor building. He mentioned to us on our Q&A last month, a video board inside of there would be really cool. That makes it a stage for different events and kind of a popular place for people to hang out during camps or banquets or anything like that. It just adds to that. You can also um, streamline replay right away from practice. You don't have to go back to the film room to watch a player and let that it can happen on the moment. Um, it happens in the field. It can happen on a wall, too. So that'd be good. But inside the stadium, I haven't heard him talk a lot about that, too. And maybe he's starting to come out of his shell a little bit and talk about improvements. But I'm trying to think here as I'm filling time and maybe your wheels are spinning in your head, too. But. I'm trying to think of something that he wants in the stadium because truth be told, they're touching every corner with what's going on right now that needs to be touched. It's a tough one to answer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you go around and look at everything in the stadium outside of the press box, uh, virtually every aspect of that has been updated or revamped or something, however you want to say it, over the last, say, I don't know, 10 years or so. And I get that this is kind of a never-ending cycle of always um, improving. And the moment you think that you're good enough, you're behind. But I wouldn't know where to go as far as just the stadium is concerned. 
I love the calls of the press box. Like they're actually going to take into consideration what the press needs <laughs> for that. Uh, I think that by press box, what he means, what he envisions probably is like, let's get some suites. Let's get some low areas up there. Let's find a way to make some premium seating. That's so far down the road right now, though. But I think that would be something that he'd be interested in. And then I just think functionality, you know, what what makes coaches tick? What helps them out a little bit? And I wonder if there's something in there that just makes more sense from a convenience perspective. Is there, I don't know, a nap room for players where they can go and catch a half an hour? Is there a place where they can, um, I don't know, charge their phones like and hang out together rather than having to sit down in their locker room? They don't have to be in there because sometimes people don't want to be in the locker room more than they have to. I just wonder, like, where – these are bad examples here. I'm kind of shooting, but I'm sure in his head there are blind spots for efficiency that he would like to cure, and I wonder where they are. Like, do they need, you know – like that, that wake pool is a pretty big deal because that's like, you know, players like to hang out in the water sometimes too, but there's a therapeutic part of that as well. So there's camaraderie and there's obviously like a physical benefit too. So stuff like that, I think is always on a coach's roster and near as I can tell, um, he's got that stuff covered there. Derek Deems asks, you have to address the lingering quarterback controversy, Jeremy Clifford or Robbie Mitchell. Um, Chip West has a big decision on his hands. Uh, I'm told that if Clifford is healthy, he will start. Um, against Kansas State on the road. This new running offense may have wrinkles to incorporate the quarterback. We'll see what happens there. Uh, here's a good one. Well, actually, it's not a good one because it's frightening, but it's a provocative question from Down with Brown. Um, theoretically, this virus ends all organized sports. That's the bad part, by the way. But anyways, going on. Theoretically, it ends all sports. How will Chris and Mike feed their families? Of course, they might go full boring and do some sort of a journalism reporting somewhere. But I'm holding out hope for an off-the-grid hunter-gatherer lifestyle change or maybe a second shot at a hidden passion. Let me know. Good one, Chris. Uh, how are you feeding the wife and kids, supporting your lavish lifestyle if 24-7 ceases to exist for, I don't know, a year, let's say? What are you doing? Uh, my illicit online gambling will be out of control. It will be absolutely <laughs> out of control, um, for better or worse. But no uh, sports. Oh, I'm I'm talking uh, poker and anything else I can okay. I can play. Um, that's kind of how I've been. Because yeah, I, I don't know if we discussed this before, but I, I was we used to have, or I guess we still do. Uh, me and a bunch of the guys around town would get together and we play poker once a week. Uh, obviously, we're not doing that in person right now because I feel like, you know, sitting on a small table facing each other, touching chips and cards and passing them back and forth to each other. Uh, is not what you want to be doing right now. And so we have had to resort to online means of playing cards. And it's actually been quite a delight. So who knows? I, I might be expanding that moving forward, especially if there's no sports. My day trading days are probably numbered. I'm doing okay. <laughs> but like I, I, I shot the moon a couple times and really missed. So I'm not going to go that. And I'm just not a good gambler. I've had a blackjack dealer apologize to me and not take my tip. So I learned my lesson there. Um, Secret about me, um, I have like a, a parachute plan where when I get fired for writing something <laughs> that gets me fired, it's going to happen if it's been a plan for years, but I have the parachute that I pull. I have a business plan for like a, for, for well, actually one thing is kind of already become more mainstream, but years ago I was going to be the guy that would like work in the outer banks or in like a vacation community. And I would prepare the meal kit for you when you would go home. Um, so you'd like, you check into your house and kill devil Hills, but the groceries would already be there and your prepackaged meal ready to cook basically blue apron like 10 years ago, but it was going to be for vacationing people. That's kind of a thing right now. So I had to get on another level. 
and I have, and I have a business plan that's ready to go. So when I get fired for something I say, or for not producing, or in this situation, um, no organized sports, and I got to provide, I got a plan. Funding might be difficult. I might have to lean on Robin Hood there, but I have a plan. <laughs> well, stop stop investing in bankrupt companies, Michael. That That's my day trading advice for you. <laughs> so promising. I don't understand what happened. <laughs> uh, Let's see here. Um, D. Sprad asks, when do you think the NCAA will allow in-person business? Kind of covered up last week, but the recruiting dead period extended through August. Um, I think that some coaches were crossing their fingers and hoping that there would be some sort of a window there, but that's not going to happen now, too. I'm guessing if you can have home games with fans, you should be able to have visits, too. Trouble being, schools don't really like to have official visits during game weekends because they're so busy and they can't devote a lot of time to it. This might be your one shot to get a player on campus, so it becomes really important in a season that's going to have so many other elements that are really important because of the nature of this environment right now, too. But um, I don't know. Perhaps that that's the way it goes, but perhaps something different. What do you think happens here? Uh, I'm going to channel my inner Neil Brown and say they're going to wait as long as possible to get as much information as possible before making that decision because I think – um, obviously for, for the NCAA and for colleges, it's, it has a lot to do with player and recruit and family and coach safety and liability because for the traveling for football, if you're going from, you know, if you're playing at Texas tech, you are taking a group of guys that you have attempted to quarantine in some manner flying them directly to one other town that is also quarantining their football team and keeping them together with recruits, you're going to have guys from Florida, Georgia, New York, Illinois, Kentucky, all coming in from, from all over the country mm-hmm. and with their family members and who knows who, who has had to work, who's had it, who's had what underlying conditions, who's already been diagnosed, who might have it and not even know it, and then bringing them all into one spot to your spot, you know, from a college angle, your spot, and putting at risk all the people around your program. So I think it might be even longer. I mean, it's horrible for these recruits because these recruits, they need these visits too to decide where they want to go and to be seen by these colleges to get their offers. But I'm not even certain they're going to open things back up for the fall unless, uh, you know, things start looking better as far as the, the case count goes. How does it work during the season, like the the visit schedule? I know teams don't like to do it, but it's not like I, – I, I'm, I'm speaking kind of out of turn here. They can't just say, hey, we can have official visits during the fall football season. It's a little bit different than that. There's rules and there's times in there and that too. But, I mean, what what's the schedule like right now? If they do have a season that starts on September 5th, what could happen? It'd be tough. I, I feel like they'd have to shorten what a visit would be because typically for – I mean, not I guess not on a, uh, an official visits. Forty eight hours, they come in, they stay at a hotel, they see different things. But these unofficial visits, which are are typically during the season, more so than than official visits, a lot of those are day visits, mm-hmm. and they show up right before the game, they watch the game, and then they leave. And I think you'll see some of those because eh, this is going to get interesting because that's also going to be have to take into account the attendance situation for each school. If, if schools, if a certain school is not allowed to have people in the stands, how are they going to have recruits? Um, 
for those of you who don't know that you know a lot of the recruits come and they sit in a specific section of the stadium. I don't want to say where because I don't want some of you weirdos going over there and bothering them. But if that's designated space where people aren't supposed to sit or maybe some handful of people from the season ticket holders got to sit there, they got to spread out. Are they going to do the same with recruits and spread them out all over the stadium? Are they going to limit how many recruits can come just because they can't go over 50% and you're going to hit 50% off of the season ticket holders? Um, man, it's going to, there's going to be a lot to go into it more so than just, Hey, yeah, we want recruits. It's, it's going to be a lot of factors. Flip into this one here. Um, RB23 asks, based on what we know at this time, how many fans do you believe will be allowed to attend home games this year? Any students? Whew. <laughs> um, boy. Go ahead. You're, you're the expert on this one. I don't know how they're going to do this. Um, I, I know what they're thinking. Uh, I don't want to give it away. I know what they're thinking, but I also know that they have a bunch of different models. They have zero, they have fractions, and they have everybody. Um, everybody is not being considered, <laughs> obviously zero is, um, that's kind of a doomsday kind of thing, you know, because they got to make some other plans about namely money in that situation too. But I would say at most, you're going to have a fraction. I can't see it being over half. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a quarter and that's just in the stands because that quarter is going to be inflated by, you got to let families come, I think, to watch your kids play, especially if you're going to make them endanger themselves, so to speak by playing. I don't know how you could say uh, it's too dangerous for you to come to the game, but your kid can play it. That doesn't seem fair. So I think you're going to see something like a quarter of fans, which in West Virginia's case would be 15,000. Trouble is they sold more than 15,000 season tickets. So what do you do? Do you prorate someone's season tickets and you have a rotation? You say you can't come for every home game this year. You can come for four out of seven. We'll give you the three other games back. How do you figure out who that is? Students? I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how you have college football games and not have students. So what do you do? Are you doing a quarter or of your season ticket holders and a quarter of your student population to get to the quarter of attendance? I don't know. What about people who are just coming for one game? Are you are you locking everybody out who couldn't or didn't buy season tickets? I don't know. Um, again, I'll take the paycheck. I don't want the work <laughs> to figure out how to do this that these people are having to do. It's really hard. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Every decision has layers, and then every layer unearths more layers. This is a big one. Again, I don't think that they're in any rush to give you an answer because they don't have to, but it's crazy to think it's going to be 100%. It's not crazy to think it's going to be zero. Yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about, I don't know how, I hadn't even thought about the, the student aspect of this because that's that's a large chunk of fans over there. Um, are you going to, like you said, are you going to let them in or are you not going to let them in a quarter of it? What are you going to do about their fees? I mean, they West Virginia, like most university, collects these fees, and part of that fees is supposed to be to give you access to these athletic events, including football games. So, are you going to refund them part, parts of their um, their their student fees, and then that hits your bottom line as well? And like you said, you say half or a quarter, or whatever the limit is. The amount of fans, the, the just standard fans, season ticket holders, and even students has to be a lot less than that because then there's all the personnel on the team, everybody that has to be out there for training purposes, uh, video, radio, um, all the staffers for the football team that are also doing video and radio or radio that we're not going to hear or see. Uh, you got, like you said, family members, every coach in their contract is allowed to have, I believe for most of them, uh, two to four tickets per game to allow people to come to those games. 
Then you got the recruits. Then you got the press. I, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't have the press. That's not. You don't. I. I would be. I, first of all, first of all, are they going to sit sixty of us in a press box and serve us food and drinks all day, and then also come around and give us stats? Why? You have you have stat broadcast. I can get my own pizza, my own diet coke. Um, it's great to have it given to me, but like I don't need that. I don't. I, I can get some stuffed shells and some chicken parm somewhere else. Like if I'm really going to get the free meal. Um, I'm probably doing this wrong anyway. So that's one thing. There's no way that they're going to let us sit in a box for four hours, <laughs> walk through the crowd, and then enter the football facility to have one-on-ones or face-to-face time with players and coaches. It's not happening. It's going to be on Zoom. I'm almost 100% certain unless this thing changes in a hurry. So why even go to the game at that point? Why even open the press box? Save your staffing, save some money, save all those people the trouble of having to go. They don't have to. Keep them safe. Keep them out of the harm's way. And just be really good at doing press for Zoom. Um, that sucks. It's going to make reporting very generic. We're going to have to be creative, but I can't see a way that they're letting the media work this year. That would be that would be surprising to me, and I'm, I'm not sure anybody or everybody would be uncomfortable with that either. Yeah, I, you're right. I, I don't think they'll – I mean, who knows? Maybe this will be the opportunity they have to kind of thin, thin the herd of media that they allow in the press box uh, so we don't have to – on those rare occasions where I do show up, I don't have to sit there and listen to some quote-unquote reporter complain about how the Big 12 is trying to screw WVU again. I um, think that if they said that they weren't going to have the pregame meal and the in-game meal, you would cut it in half. <laughs> <laughs> like half the crowd would not show up. Half the press would not show up if you said no Sodexo spread and no pizza after the game. It'd be like, well, it was nice knowing. You will see in 2021. I, I, I'm positive. I'd be a slam dunk in my head. Uh, last one here. From Spades22. This is a good one here. Um, this could be divisive. This might be a, a good one that we take out and spend some more time on as well. Uh, over under nine and a half future NFL draft picks who make a 53-man roster that are on the current 2020 WVU roster. Um, and he says a few seem to be slam dunks, but others you may need to rely on your gut feelings, pedigree measurables. Um, I did this in my head, and I went back and forth. Uh, under more than over, but there's certainly a way you can get to over on this, too. You're kind of projecting some good things here, but I also know that I did a story May, maybe, but 10 players who could be drafted. It was only 10, so that's over. Nine and a half, and one of them was, you know, not even on campus at that point, David Vincent O'Coley, but a couple others you're kind of looking at going, I don't know about that, really. Um, It's mostly projection. I don't think there's many slam dunks right now, but I do think you can look at a couple people who are sure things and still fall under nine, I think you could take those same people who were sure things, look at the rest of the roster, and get over nine and a half. Now you're making me pick one or the other. Are there nine and a half players in this roster who will be in the NFL at some point on a 53-man roster five years from now? That's two a year, I would say, over. Oh, man. The 53-man roster thing is what what's getting me. Because if you're telling me, you know, getting a free agent deal or making a practice squad, I'm going over, but the 53 man roster is harder than I think a lot of people realize. So I'm going to go slightly, very slightly under. Wow. Yeah. So here are some people just to to get into this really quickly that I think we can, you got a chance that they're going to be, I'm wondering by his question, if he means they, they may be, I guess the 53 is the thing to think about. And you're right. That's hard to make. Uh, there's not a whole lot of them out there, but the people who you probably agree that are going to have a chance to do this, both stills, right? Mm-hmm. 
let me ask you this. Who's the next slam dunk? Because he said slam dunk. And I'm trying to think, is there one? I think a lot has to go right for a Sam James to make it. I think a lot has to go right for a Dre Miller to make it. I think a lot has to go right for a James Gemitter to make it. Someone I like. I think he's going to be a good player when he gets out of here in a couple of years, too. But a lot has to go right. And more importantly, fewer things have to go wrong. I don't know where the next one is. Those I think two for that, sure. Yeah. that That's why I stopped where I did and, and said lower because I, I go still, stills, and then I say, well, maybe that guy might make a, you know, for a couple games a few years down the road. Um, a lot of the, say, let's, I don't want to say best players on West Virginia's team right now, but a, a lot of the key contributors are guys, are guys that we know can contribute and already have our interior linemen. That's a hard position to get into the NFL on, mm-hmm. hard position to get drafted. Um, safeties, same thing. Uh, they're kind of undervalued. So that's difficult to make it there. I, I, wide receiver, mm, it's deep, but who's going to stand out enough to get the NFL's attention to really grab one of those spots? I don't know. Uh, a lot of the guys that maybe I would think as like fourth or fifth or even sixth on my, on my list, if I were just ranking them in order, might be coming from like the 2019 and 2020 class, and they haven't even done anything yet. Sure. So you're really asking me to kind of project out pretty far. So I'd lean safely, uh, play it safe, and go low, under. Okay. So then I'm trying to qualify my opinion here a little bit. I don't disagree. Like I said, I was I was here and there on it, and I just came to the fact that I think they can do it because um, I think I, there's potential for some of these people to get going and make it. Um, and there is a difference between getting drafted and making the 53. I get that. But at some point, you got to have, like, combine freaks, workout warriors. Who fits those qualifications? Who was the person that says, you know what, he's like that six-round guy who had an okay career, but boy, he tests through the roof and he's going to be a good fit in the NFL locker room. He's going to look like that guy and run like that guy and jump like that guy. Um, do they have guys like that that might fill that profile? We just don't know about it yet, but we know that certainly the physical credentials are there. Who's on your list? Uh, Van Darius Cowan, if he can kind of keep it together and, mm-hmm. and have you know maybe a decent year or two. Uh, enough to get invited to that combine or even not get invited to the combine. We've seen over the years that NFL teams will look look at guys and say, ah, he had an okay college career, but remember, he was like a four or five star recruit and he got that because he's a physical freak and maybe we can do something with that. Um, maybe he's that guy. And who knows? Maybe he, you know, balls out at West Virginia and becomes, you know, all conference, no doubt, draft pick. Uh, I'm just saying he's got more options than than some other guys who didn't come in with such a high pedigree and then only had an okay career. So he'd be one. I think Bartlett has that type of twitch to him from stuff I've read and seen about him. Um, Jordan Jefferson is kind of a physical marvel. That's a guy who could do some things for you in a couple of years. And you say, all right, committer, evidently. He's an Iron Mountaineer. There's a lot of agility and strength to him. But mostly people we don't yet know about because we just haven't seen him on the field and not the most celebrated recruit. So there's a chance, and this kind of is what's fun about this conversation, but also the next two or three years, that we're going to see not just a team, but you know, individual players kind of blossom before our eyes that we hadn't even thought of yet. Um, and that's why a guy like you know, like Bryce Wheaton, for example, who hasn't played a whole lot, but sure looks like an NFL player. We haven't talked about him, but would you be shocked if – by his senior year, he was catching 50 passes for 700 yards and eight touchdowns, and he got an NFL shot. I wouldn't be shocked. We don't know. We don't know. And that's kind of what's fun about this one. 
Yeah, I think of, I mean, I know they're a little bit different, uh, but Bryce Wheaton kind of in that George Campbell role about mm-hmm. just being physical specimens that kind of have, have their glimpses and NFL teams say, that's something I can work with, uh, even if he didn't have 100 catches a, a year in college. And, and we saw how quickly George Campbell got snapped up uh, in the undrafted free agent market. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's one or two long snappers and kickers on the team, too, that I'm sure could <laughs> open some eyes in the next couple of years. All right, that's the time we've gone too long once again, Chris. Uh, good questions here, hopefully good answers. But some of these will appear again once we've had more time to think it over and also get some feedback. I'm sure people are going to agree or mostly disagree with what we have to say on some of these things. But um I don't know if you know Chris, not a whole lot going on in the sports world. So the fact that we can sit down and spend some more time on these questions, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that idea. Yeah. Uh, as long as we can talk about some actual football type stuff, I think everybody will be happy. Coming up, a bunch of ways to preview the season here. We're, what, 13 days away from the first time. So we'll begin looking at assistant coaches, somewhat like we did for the welcome party for freshmen and junior college transfers and t- traditional transfers. Um, hey, what's on the plate for assistant coaches? What do they have to accomplish in a hurry here before the season starts? Um, that's just on my corner on this block, but uh, I'm sure we have more to get everybody ready for the season, correct? Yeah, I'll have updates with um, – I'll be doing some recruiting things. Uh, I got an update with in-state star Toby Payne from down in Poca. I'll be continuing my target updates for each position in the group. And – I'm also going to tackle this. I was going to ask you, but I'll, I'll just let you save it and think about it so you can post on the board how I'm wrong. Mm. Um, the best crossover athletes on this roster. Uh, I posted a video Tuesday of Neil Brown from his meeting with the media the other day where he mentioned guys it, potentially prepping guys to play other positions on the field because of roster limit, limitations due to the pandemic. Say if guys, a, a, a large group of guys need to be quarantined or they test positive and and you have limited options at a spot he says that they might you know train guys in simple train some like wide receivers or running backs in some simple coverages as a safety or teach some safeties and cornerbacks some simple routes as a wide receiver and I think fans will be pleasantly surprised to see that there are a lot of good options on this roster of guys who are more than capable of doing that. And I'm going to give a rundown of, of those best picks. Oh man. I like it a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking of guys in my head, like, like could Jackie Matthews play running back in a pinch? Or quarterback? Um, could, could Zach Frazier play defensive line if he had to, like if they needed a nose, could he go? He's he was absolutely one of the first guys I thought of. I, his first his original offer from West Virginia uh, under the previous staff was as a nose guard. So yes, is the answer. What do you do with O'Coley? I don't think they need receivers, but like if they lost like seven receivers in a meeting and they couldn't play, like something like that happened, then I mean that's a guy. I mean that's also yeah. a guy. A corner safety could do it. You know what? What occurred to me about that was like one thing Brown said. Like listen, we would teach you know, linebackers, different spots, teach defensive linemen, different spots, corner, how to play safety, vice versa. And he said like tight end defensive end. Um, I, I think it's crazy that like, you're going to have to have some people on offense play defense. Like it's, I don't, if you're, if you're worried about losing multiple people at a position because they were exposed to the same workout group or the same meeting room, you're not going to be able to fulfill from that position or even that side of the ball. You're going to have to think about offense people who are otherwise ostracized and the defensive people. So I think you have to think about cross line, cross training, but also 
most of these people who are in college for a number of years now have not played the other side of the ball in years. And typically the very best players on your high school team or in your area, they just kind of specialize on one side of the ball. So they haven't been a multi-way player for a long, long time. and haven't experimented the other side of the ball for many years. I would think that freshmen are more likely to do this than anybody else because um, a guy who played receiver and safety, if he's a safety here at WVU, he probably is more familiar with just the, the mechanics of playing receiver than a defensive back who's been here for four years and hasn't played receiver forever. I think it's a way to incorporate freshmen um, earlier and make them more useful just because their two-way experience is much more recent and refined than somebody who's been here for a while. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the I'll give a little sneak peek because the very first player on my list is somebody who's not going to do this, but he's a good candidate or her, would otherwise be a good candidate if he wasn't going to be the starting running back for this team this year. Uh, Cause Letty Brown mm. was considered an athlete by 24 seven sports and national analyst, Brian Doan. And I talked about this um, at length when he was still a recruit in high school. He continued to ask me, is West Virginia really recruiting him as a running back? Uh, Cause a lot of schools loved him as a linebacker and thought he was an elite linebacker, maybe a better linebacker than a running back. So he's going to be first on my list. But you're not going to see him play linebacker, period. It's not going to happen. Uh, they're going to find, you know, that third, like you said, that third string freshman. Truck Edwards. Yeah, they're going to find a third string freshman or a walk-on and move them to the other side of the ball before they start moving, say, Letty Brown or James Gamitter, who was an all-state caliber defensive lineman. So, I got to read this. I'm looking forward to this now. Yeah, This will, this will be up later this morning. Uh, yep, it'll be up today. So get ready for maybe this will be one of our opportunities to argue and have a first take style uh, a fight on the message board yes. to kick off July. Yes, get ready fireworks, for if you will. Mm-hmm. All right, well, check that out later on today. A whole bunch of stuff still coming out the pipes here. I don't know how we're still doing this, but we are. Um, the beat goes on even though there's no sports. But um, let's press end here and wrap it up for this time. Until next time, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.